so, so my name is Ryan Kitchens. Um, I'm currently working at Netflix. Um, I've, I've worked at a few uh, media and, and video game companies in uh, software. Um, and uh, what, what I do is, is respond to incidents, teach people about learning from incidents. Hey everybody, Pre-Action Investigation Safety Memo, welcome in, welcome to the podcast, welcome. Yay, are you excited? I bet you have been. See, you had something to think about and wait for all week long because you were like, oh, I gotta really focus because part two of the Ryan podcast is gonna drop next week and I wanna hear part two because I wanna hear how this damn thing ends, right? Well, that's what's gonna happen today. You're gonna be excited. I know just from the feedback I got from everybody, how much they enjoyed part one. The whole idea that the system that Ryan operates is constantly broken someplace and they don't know where is just such a profound idea because it's so in line with the systems you operate and the systems I operate. It's just... It's a, you know, we've got all these little breaks everywhere. It, the world is a constantly eroding process, and we don't need proof of that. I mean, the last couple of years, I think, have been a really a good exercise in understanding uncertainty and understanding how freaky the world is and how just when you think things, there's no way things can get worse. This cannot get worse. It's, it's not going to get worse. We're done. It's, we're at the worst. Boom. Worst comes flying in. You really have to be at the point in your life where you don't talk about it. Like, I really try to never say it can't get worse anymore I mean, because it's just it's just disappointing to me. And I don't want to disappoint myself. I mean, I'm busy disappointing other people. That's my job. But not disappointing myself. That's not what I want to do. But that notion of uncertainty, that actually is a big deal. And what I found so interesting about Ryan's conversation, especially today's part, is that he's going to talk to you a lot about the fact that the, the world's changing and people are moving and they're moving a lot. And it's true. It's definitely true in the software community. Cause I don't know if you know this, but I used to have a, a little, I used to have a, I took over a management job because they needed someone in that very arena. So I learned a lot about a process that I knew nothing about. Right. But people move, they're very fluid and, and it's kind of normal. And in fact, equipment changes. It's very fluid and it's really normal. I think about think about it. If your phone, the one that you use for work, is more than, gosh, five years old, it is really old and probably not completely functional, right? And so the world is constantly updating and changing. Apps are constantly updating and changing, much to my horror. Software is changing. Uh, menus are changing. I'm thinking donuts right now, Right. All of that change is normal. And what's interesting is that we have to be smart enough to help manage high-risk, highly critical systems in, a, in an environment that's filled with constant change and uncertainty. How's that for depressing? Yeah, okay, I just went there. Boom, he's there. But that's why I think this conversation with Ryan was so fun. It's because he brings a certain energy, no question about it, fresh face and and happy voice and, I mean, knowledge just shooting out of everywhere. But he also talks about the problem in such a way that it feels to me like if we worked hard enough and if we were curious enough, if we had enough oops capability, 
yes, I use the word oops capability, that we can only improve. And that constant notion of improvement, that is a pretty cool idea. I mean, that's a big part of what we want to talk about and where we want to go in the conversation. And that's pretty much what part two of this does, is it has that very conversation. Now, what's interesting is because the world's uncertain and because it's in flux, because there's lots of change, and because workers are seeing work differently, which my guess is that's been happening over time, but it was greatly amplified and highlighted by the pandemic and the work at home and the essential workers and all the things that happened. You were a part of it, so you know exactly the great toilet paper shortage. You were there. You saw it all. That that also becomes a really important part. And the idea of knowledge transferal, how do I get knowledge from one worker to the next or from one generation of workers to the next generation of workers or one team of workers to the next team of workers, that really is a learning challenge. I mean, that's a learning problem. And learning is a deliberate attempt. Organizations that are really good at learning are really excellent in operations. We know that because operational excellence is defined by the organization's ability to learn from itself constantly and during normal operations. That's kind of the point. And that's what Ryan talks about so beautifully in part two. And so part two is going to be fun. It's a, it's an interesting conversation. Things are grand here. Uh, not much has changed in the week we've uh, last spoken. But uh, if it did, I would tell you for sure. Um, you know, just a little bit of road work, uh, lots of tardy planes and incomplete flights. That's what I'm supposed to say. I'm not supposed to call them canceled flights because uh, one of our fellow podcast listeners who's from the aviation industry said they're not really canceled flights, they're incomplete flights. Okay, okay, so incomplete flights, I'm with you. It, I, we didn't make it, and I had to take another one, which took a lot longer. Except, You know how this works. You've been there. Don't act like you haven't. That's going on like crazy. But other than that, I'm getting to see some old friends, and that always gets, makes me happy. Because that is what it's about to be. Happiness. Happy, happy, happy. So until then, let's jump into Ryan. Because I want you to hear part two of this podcast. Because I think you're going to like this part two very much. It is a very interesting conversation. So here we go. Are you ready? This is Ryan Kitchen, Senior Software Systems Engineer at Netflix and Investigation Dude. And he's going to tell you about the world we're moving into. Because they're a little ahead of us on this one. There was a great study put out in uh, like software attrition stuff recently that um, pe- people who were deemed fast learners actually dropped out of the industry at higher rates. And that was fascinating. That is fascinating. What, what do you think that, what's your gut tell you on that? So, so as people gain more seniority in the industry, like you start to figure out it doesn't really matter um, so much about like the individual applications or the frameworks of the technology that's being used, right. like how to write software. If you understand the fundamentals and, and, and you generalize that, um, what really matters is the patterns and strategies around how we like build, deploy, change and operate software. Um, so because the, the actual technology changes out from underneath you every few years, um, the, the, the implications that has on incident response is interesting. If, if, if you can imagine um, 
you you have a problem, like you know how to solve it, but then you're given a device that like you've never used before and it's all clunky and, and um, that's sort of what it's like. Huh. Um, so so uh, with with fast learners dropping out of, of, of software at higher rates, um, you are constantly chasing the problem of how does skill transfer happen? How do you grow expertise in people? Um, because the, fr from from one company to the next, nothing is the same. Right, even. right. Really, from one project to the next. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that because that's, I think that's really a giant, giant topic that we're just now sort of approaching. And that's the fact that the workforce itself has changed dramatically. Um, mm -hmm. It probably has been changing a while, but global uncertainty has really created uh, an entirely new discussion, which shouldn't be a surprise. So here's what we know. Every time there's a pandemic, there's some kind of revolution. So the Black Plague brought industrial mm -hmm. revolution. I mean, we can, we can sort of guess that the world will change. The world will not be the same. And we're sort of getting a lot of evidence that that's true. But what's amazing to me is it's really changed the way people who do the work are identifying with the work itself. Now, we've mm -hmm. said for years that one of the biggest challenges we've had under the old paradigm was getting people to believe that the, the people aren't the problem. The people, in fact, are the problem solvers. Mm -hmm. So when we direct corrective actions towards fixing people, we're not actually having any impact. It, we're effectively fixing the wrong things offensively, probably, because we're pretty good at offensively fixing stuff. That shift in how workers are seen has been a big part of the dialogue, but now it's more profound than ever. What's, you, what's your strategy, as if you speak for the world, I guess what's the industry thinking about this idea of knowledge transferal and really the changing nature of, of work? I mean, it's just a different place now. Yeah, so, so uh, let, let me start talking about that from, from like, what, what are the implications on incident response in software? So, so I think the way that software handles incidents is most closely in a model of like a control room, except that control room is virtual. Um, and now it's increasingly more distributed. Even if you do get all the people in the single room, everyone's still working on their laptop. And so, uh, people are working with the, 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 the interface to software. Like we never actually see the code and what it's doing physically because it's, it's all digital. It's all right. virtual. So, uh, um, Laura McGuire is someone who, who wrote a paper on, um, the costs of coordination, which is one I would, I would, uh, suggest people read on this topic. The, oh, yeah. the, the, the uh, the incident commander model where like the IC is, uh, basically a bottleneck, um, is, is, is becoming a, a real problem for, for software incident response. Um, so the, where the work happens, what the work is, um, is, is, is all over the place, um, in, in the real world, in your Slack team, you have 50 different chat channels where things are happening. 
Um, you might have one channel where you bring in people during incidents, but um, yeah, th there, there's a lot of uh, cat herding, I, I yeah. guess I'd say. I think that's fair. Um, that's really fair. <laughs> and it, it's... Or I would also accept pushing of rope. There's a lot of rope pushing. That would be yeah. acceptable as well. Yeah. Um, and when... When all the tools you're working with are, are rapidly changing um, and more and more decentralized, right. the incidents that software is going to see in the future are going to become weirder. They're going to become more global and they're going to creep into critical spaces accidentally even. Yeah. Um. So, so I think that's sort of like how the nature of work is changing for us. So that's a really interesting and I think a very effective description of the problem. What are you guys thinking about moving forward? What, what are you thinking about barriers, controls, safeguards? I mean, capacity. Yeah. I mean, how do you build capacity in a highly diffused? The, the, one of the most profound things you said is everybody can be in the same room, but they're working on their own laptops. They're still digitally diverse or i don't even know what word you'd use now it's it's so interesting to me what are we thinking about moving forward on this what should we be learning and doing it, in software there are greater and greater abstractions so that means the the way that you might deploy your application um is is uh more standardized and another system you hand it off to another system and it figures things out for you the problem with that is we've uh, we, we've kind of changed the operating boundaries where things can fail. Like the blast radius is now in a different scope when right. something fails. So when I say like things will become more global, it's it's because you per perhaps you had a process where you say, okay, I'm going to deploy this application here and I'm going to check it, and then when it's done, I'm going to go deploy it here and check it, and it'll be good. And we got two applications in two different fault domains, and like they can fail independently. Everything's going to be fine. Right. Well, now, when you're handing it off to this abstraction, um, this this like control layer, when an incident uh, it, it is involving the control layer itself, the blast radius is global now. It's not just isolated to those two partitions. So there are like the the, the solution is bringing more problems. In this case, I would say. Um, there are different problems, but um, the the way that software is coping with a, a, a more distributed um, uh, workforce or or like asynchronous development, right. where um, changes will be made at times you don't expect because many people are in different time zones and all your conventional patterns in your organization are out the window. Um, it is there's there's a lot more automation and. I would recommend people go read the Ironies of Automation paper by Lisanne Bainbridge because um, the, those are becoming more and more prevalent. Um, I think the sort of machine learning AI community has no grasp of that whatsoever. Right. And, and um, that that is a, an answer to many problems, but um, also comes with some pretty unique failures of its own well and, and as as these complexities increase and i 
I love, I, should I love this? The, the, I love the notion of a global blast zone, although that mm-hmm. seems like something you shouldn't love. I mean, that seems like the wrong thing to love, but, but, but as complexities increase, it's so interesting because it goes back to the, to the classic adage that you can't simplify this because Mm -hmm. it's beyond simplification, that you have to really make these couplings transparent and understand the transparency. So you said the solutions bringing more problems and that's true. What's interesting is that what the solutions really requiring is, is different thinking. At, at yep. every single level, which completely translates, as we spoke of earlier, into different leadership strategy. It has to. I mean, because if it doesn't, we're all screwed. But it's also translating into different types of workers and different mm-hmm. roles that workers play and really different perceptions they have of the larger system. One of the things that amazes me about the work you do, Ryan, is that your systems are so complex, no one person would ever be able to really fully understand the complete system. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's, that's you, true. you gave that up years ago. That's, I mean, so yeah. there's, there's a lot of these operational mysteries that lack transparency just because mm-hmm. nobody has the ability to know it. Yeah. There's a large movement in software under the, the term observability, which right. is being able to, to, visualize um, the the path that users take through your software and um, so that you might see like where where they encounter uh, applications that are slow or throwing errors or or, or what have you however um, there is still yeah one person cannot understand the whole system even on a team like mine which has this fleet-wide view of the system does not understand everything and uh, the the notion of complexity, software largely still thinks that simplicity is the answer to that, but uh, right. like tr- transparency is, I believe you said, is the opposite, not simplicity. Right, and you're, um, exa- and you're exactly right. But what I think is so interesting is that what we really need to build is this operational curiosity. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? And, and yet, the more stable the system is, or the more stable a system appears, let's go with that, because you said something incredibly profound. Everything in a system is a little bit broken all the time. So the more stable the system appears, the less curious you are of the system. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, there's, there's true irony just as AI brings irony, um, and it does bring a tremendous amount of irony to the world. There's a lot of irony in the fact that the better we get at making stable systems, the less we know about the system that we're m- counting on, maintaining yeah. So that brings it back to to, to uh, leadership getting you know summaries or roll ups of things. If they're looking at um, organizational metrics of, of how healthy something is, like everything on their charts might be green, but they have no idea how much actual effort is being put into sustaining that and making it look good. So people can be like right at the edge on a path to burnout, and they would never know about it because all they see. Is everything is green, which is always true, right? You don't know burnout's a great example. You don't know you're burned out till you're burned out, mm-hmm. right? So you don't know your system's broken till your system's broken. I mean, that's that's a really interesting example. How does this translate to people? How does it translate to to people who just want to do this work? I mean, what are you guys doing to create this body of knowledge and keep people curious and keep people engaged and interested? 
curious is the right word. Um, there's constant pressure for you know production feature shipping versus um, doing work right. and uh, making things more reliable. Um, and a, a lot of the curiosity um, happens under the radar or on a volunteer basis or, right. or people take it up as a side job and it's not properly invested in or ex an explicit priority of the company um, because there is too much production pressure. Does the company need to fail horribly in order to build that as a priority? I mean, that's a, not a good option, but yeah, that's too late. Right. Yeah. So, so the, the only stable system is the one that went out of business. <laughs> God. Now that my friend is cynicism. Wow. I could, <laughs> I could taste it from here. So what do you see the future hold? What do you, what are you, uh, what are I, you I curious about? I the future is bright. Okay. Well, yeah. Amen. Please out. stay with yeah. us. So, so, <laughs> uh, so software, however, is not the, um, the panacea to everyone's problems. And, and um, the, like the AI winter cannot come soon enough again, in my opinion. Um, and I, I don't think we're going to see significant uh, business sentiment change until that happens. Right. But uh, the, the, the aspect of, of like learning more from incidents, being more curious is something I and a community of many others in software are, are starting to bring a lot of attention and popularity toward um, it, with hope, hopefully uh, the, the, the same kind of uh, attention that, that movements like agile software and, and DevOps, et right. cetera, so, sort of received. And to be fair, um, not to be naive, although I'm not ever afraid to be naive, but not to be naive, you guys have done Herculean work in getting this more and more into the conversation. Mm -hmm. the, these conversations are m more apparent now than they ever have been in the past. And so, I mean, I guess we should say the glass is half full, right? Even though you're a software person, so you think the glass is just the wrong glass. I get that. I totally get that, right? And it needs a bigger monitor because everything yeah. needs a bigger monitor, right? The glass is also refillable. <laughs> right. But I think that idea that this dialogue, uh, this, this change is going to happen mm -hmm. not probably because of a burning platform. It's too late when the platform's burning. This yeah. change is going to happen through a series of just – conversations i mean it's going to happen sort of one person at a time over and over and over again uh it it i think has to happen at an industry community level and with yes. no one specific company sort of like leading yes. it. so what do you think i told you it was a great two-parter i mean there's no question about it it was a perfect two-parter because there were two distinct parts to this but mostly what I like, and I'm curious to see if you're with me, is I like the fact that you can hear genuine uh, skill, knowledge, experience, professionalism, all those words, excitement um, around this idea of resilience and reliability. And you're hearing it in a completely different industry, unless you're a DevOps person, and then you're, this is your chance to shine. But for the rest of the pod, you know, this is another industry having this same conversation. And what I think is remarkable about that, and it really is remarkable, 
is that it is exactly the same conversation. And that when you start looking at complex systems, systems that are sort of beyond Newtonian, nonlinear, you know what I mean. We've talked about this a million times. You start to realize that complex systems really require the ability to understand and build tolerance in that system for failure that is normally happening. Because complex systems are tricky. They're tricky, tricky, tricky. And a complex system will always outfox the operations. That's what they do. That's that's their essence. And and so we're constantly dealing with a system that at many places, in many times, is brittle, weak, fragile, or failing. And yet that system still needs to perform. And the more we move towards technology, and you heard Ryan talk about uh, AI and some of the pitfalls around AI, but I mean, it's a part of, of what we do a- everywhere. The more we realize there are new failure modalities being placed into our processes that we yet to understand and predict how they will fail. And the ability to predict everything that could possibly happen is really made difficult by a system that normally actually functions in spite of itself. See? See, there we are. And that's why it's just so nice to have another voice have that conversation. It's beautiful, actually. Ryan Kitchens, you are my hero. I am so glad you took the time and forced me into having a conversation with you. Uh, uh, You know, he didn't blackmail me. I'm not going to say it was that far. But he did say, hey, this is something I want to talk about. And I said, oh, man, man, I'm there for you. Because anybody that's got something to say... I'm always willing to have a conversation. It could be you next. So just be ready because you could have some brilliant things swinging around in your head waiting to squirt out. And I'm the man that can help you get that information out to the people. So that's what we'll do. Does that sound, does that sound good? Does that sound like things are happening? I hope so because that's the pod for today. Thank you, Ryan Kitchens. Thank you so much for all you do. Thanks for listening for you guys. Keep listening. Tell your friends, pass it along, do all the stuff we're supposed to do. You know, you know the drill, you know how to do it. Until then, though, learn something new every single day. You did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Take care of each other, check in on one another, and for goodness sakes, be safe. (laughs) 